and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we continue looking at the ancient church of Smyrna. Please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. In a sermon which Pastor Elliot originally presented to his congregation in Pennsylvania, we'll see more of the Lord's words to the ancient church located at Smyrna. The big idea is this. Take the longest possible view of everything. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. Still with verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The second death, if you take time to look at Revelation 20, 11 to 15, the second death, well, let me back up and tell you what death is generally. Death means separation in the Bible. There's three kinds of death. There's spiritual death when a person is not yet redeemed or saved. They have a separation from God, although they're physically alive. They're spiritually dead. Physical death is when the soul and the spirit are dismissed from the body that has worn out and stopped living. That's a separation of soul and spirit from body. That's physical death. Eternal death is when the resurrected body, soul, and spirit as a unity are sentenced to an eternal, conscious, painful separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And so the second death is the death of being eternally forever separated from God because one rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before dying. And here, the vision relays, verse 11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to all the churches, and he who overcomes, he who believes in Jesus Christ, will not be hurt by the second death. If you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you don't have to worry about the second death. What's the big idea of this sermon? I mean, it's a sermon about a historic church that was persecuted, a little band of believers that were mocked and hurt and deprived. What's the bottom line for us? It's this, take the longest possible view on things. Take the longest possible view on things. True Christians who are going to persevere through tribulations and through persecutions are going to be the Christians that take the longest possible view we may well have to suffer for Christ's sake. We may have to be tensely pressured. We may become materially poor for siding with Jesus, but we should take the longest possible view, the view that there is no second death for us, the view that there is eternal life. We may have to experience affliction because of our faith in Christ. We may get imprisoned. We may even die for standing with the Savior in America. But we can take the longest possible view, the view of a crown which is life, a view that eternal life is the greatest gift we've received. It's our true spiritual riches. We may now be slandered. We may be satanically attacked. We may be punished for loving Jesus, but we can choose to take the longest possible view, the view of heaven's splendors, the view of unending joy being in the presence of our Lord. And so we take, by choice, the longest possible view. Early in 1993, three new tribes missionaries in Colombia were abducted ripped away from their wives and children. The guerrillas demanded a $5 million ransom from the new tribe's mission. I have some testimonies that 
children of the abducted missionaries gave. Jessica Rich, who was not yet born when her daddy was kidnapped, quote, Daddy, I have been praying for you, and now it's really neat. I know Jesus, the Lord and Savior. I hope Daddy is able to tell the gorillas about Jesus. If Daddy doesn't come home, we will be trusting Jesus. If he has been taken to heaven already, someday I will see him there, end of quote. And then there's seven-year-old Tamra Rich. She too took the longest possible view. She was only two years old when her daddy was abducted, and I quote, I think God is doing this for a good reason so that more people will come to know Jesus. Already a couple of people have come to know him through all this, end of quote. A nine-year-old joining with a seven-year-old to choose to take the longest possible view. And then there was Dora Tenenoff. She was eight years old when her daddy was kidnapped. Dora wrote this, and I quote, God really is the father of all fathers. I found even though I miss my dad a lot, I can live without him because I do every day. But I've gotten to the point where I cannot live without my heavenly father. It's really neat to see how he's filled the gaps for me. I know my dad well enough to know that he's not sitting under a tree having a pity party in the jungles of Columbia. That's just not him. I want people to pray not only for his health and safety, but for what he's doing down there. He's the type of person who's going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to those men. End of quote. A seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 15-year-old teaching us that it's possible to take the longest possible view. All three missionary men were killed by the guerrillas in mid-1996. Three and a half years after being abducted, they were shot dead. They were killed four years before their children made the statements that I have just read to you. Some takeaways. Number one, take the longest possible view. Because when you take the longest possible view, it rubs off on others around you. How do those kids have the longest possible view in their minds when their daddies were missing for all those years? Because their daddies, if they were alive, the kids were alive when they were abducted, had rubbed off on them. And then their mothers rubbed off on them the longest possible view. She was, they were taking the longest possible views. And when the kids saw mommy taking the longest possible view, it rubbed off. Parents, take the longest possible view on things so it'll rub off on your kids. Number two, understand that suffering in America is when and not if. Look around. Listen. Look around. It is not if we suffer for Christ in this country. It's going to be when we're called to suffer for Christ in this country. Number three, value eternal life more than stuff. Our small group's doing a curriculum by Randy Alcorn, the author of the book Heaven, which is an excellent book. And in his lesson for this last week for our group, he said, you know, every day we live, we take a stride closer to the day we'll die, right? He said, if we're valuing most what's ahead for us after death, then to, to age means to take steps closer to something is good to get closer to. But if we cling to our stuff, when we take a step closer to death, we step away from what's tied to earth and we're we got it backwards. Value your eternal life more than your stuff. Number four, know that Christ's life becoming our life 
is more clothing than jewelry. It's more of a practical thing. It's not just a showy thing to show off. When we put on Jesus Christ as new creations in Christ, they're work clothes. We're to put on work clothes, go to work with Jesus' life, go to parenting with Jesus' life, go to school with Jesus' life, go to the nursing home with Jesus' life, go to death with Jesus' life. Put on the clothing of your new life being Jesus' life, not your jewelry. Anybody can wear a cross around their neck. Wear the clothing of being new in Christ. What I'd like you to do, look at your sermon outline. At the front of it and the back of it are the two words, know and Lord. Before God, not before me, before God, will you literally, with a pencil or a pen, before God, circle one of those two words. Circle either no or Lord. Can't be both. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I am the youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue to talk about a God view. And if you weren't listening last week, we want to just have a little recap of what we talked about. And we talked about, as a born-again believer, we need to have a high view of God. That we need not to have a microscopic view, that we need not to put God in a box, but we need to understand that we worship and adore a great God. And one of the things that we want to look at, and we have circles around, is a quote from A.W. Tozer, when he said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God it's the most important thing about us. And I think that we need to understand this morning that we have to allow God to transform us and we need to allow God to, to be what we're about. And if I had to put this in my own paraphrase, this is what I would say. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because I think that when we have a view of God, everything in our, our world becomes, you know, we, we view it differently. We view people differently. We view what we do differently when we understand that in everything that we do, we bring honor and glory to God. Today, we want to talk about how great of God we do serve, how big this God is. And Isaiah chapter 40 brings that into perspective that we have to understand that this God that we worship, we adore, is a great and mighty and awesome God. And He is big. He is not a small God that some of us try to put on a pedestal, but He is a great God. And, and as we think about it, there's no one like this God. And when we consider that, how big He is and how small we are to His story, our whole perspective will change. And I want to just read a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 40. And it says this in Isaiah 40 chapter 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and accounted as a dust in the scale. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And when we consider those couple of verses there, we can see that our God is big God. And we are small. We are just a small, significant part of his story. But he allows us to be a part of this story, which brings us to a point that we need to understand that we are not a mistake. 
We are in this story to bring honor and glory to him. And when we consider that a God who created the universe, a God who looks at, you know, nations as we, as we consider the world, when we look at these places that are huge, we need to understand that in the scheme of things, God is so much bigger. And nothing can compare to him. As verse 18, chapter 40 says this, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compared to him? An idol, a craftsman cast it and goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast it for a silver chance. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understand the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits on the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens at the curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. You see, we need to understand as we consider this God, we consider the God of the universe who created everything for a purpose. When we consider in our beautiful country, we can go out and look at the stars. We can go out and see the sun and, and the moon. We need to understand, and, and there are people who question, is there a God? But we see how God has intricately made every important thing and have made it the way that he wants to bring honor and glory to him. You know, when you consider that the sun, if it's one degree closer to us, will burn us. When then you consider the sun is one degree further away, we will freeze. How else can you explain it but God? But God. You see, God, the universe, there's nothing, there's no one who can compare to him. And we need to understand that in our walk, as we who call ourselves believers, as we consider, if we say that we know him, we need to understand that we need to live for him. You see, God's primary goal is not for us just to look at his creation and to just think that I can do what I want. You know, and, and I think that I'm not the... the green um, environmental person where I think that every, you know, people will talk about different things. But when we consider even in our own country, as beautiful as it is, a tourist attraction place that people are driving down the road, just throw things out of, the, of their windows. It shows that we have no respect for what God has done. It shows we have no respect for, for anyone. You know, especially for us who call ourselves believers, we need to understand that our lives need to betray Christ. Our lives need to be a good representation of him. And when we consider Isaiah 40, and, and like I said, if you have time, I want you to really sit and, and consider this because we need to know that our God is a great God. In verse 28 of Isaiah 40, it says this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see... You may be listening this morning. You may feel, you know what? I feel far away from God. I feel like, you know, I'm in a desert. I feel like right now God is far away from me or I'm far away. 
But we need to understand that as those last couple of verses have said that the Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. And we need to understand that he doesn't grow weary. We may grow weary, but we need to understand that as we grow weary, we need to come back to him. We need to come to him and we need to find our strength in him. But the reality is we can only find strength in him if we want to find strength in him by studying his word, by spending time with him. You see, for a lot of us, we can talk about being tired physically, but I can tell you from experience that the most thing that will hurt you the most is feeling tired spiritually because you can get, you know, different rests or whatever to um, Gatorade and to replenish all those nutrients when you can consider yourself physically tired. But when you come to being spiritually tired, there's only one thing that can fill that void. And that is the word of God. That is being spending time with God. And I think for us, when we consider as believers, it, it becomes easy for us to get into that, that situation because especially for someone like me in ministry, I can keep going and going and going in ministry and think that I have it together. But the reality is that if I'm not spending personal time in God's word, then I, am, I can drain my own self spiritually because I'm only giving to people and I'm not taking in what I need. So I would challenge you this morning as you, you know, whether you're young, whether you're an older person, that you would understand that when you consider that we are just like grasshoppers in the scheme of things of what God has done as he sits on the throne and he sees us on this earth, that he allows us to be a part of this story. We need to understand that as we consider that God view, then everything else in our lives will be different. And I want to just challenge you with this last thing. Adopting an accurate God view is a process we continue in our entire lives. We will never know all there is to know about God, but we should always be searching to know Him more intimately and know Him more deeply. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I thank you for listening to You Talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. I'm very pleased this morning to have Dr. Marlene Heiler with us in the studio. She has been used of the Lord to co-found the New Providence Classical School, and she is also a professional Christian counselor. Good morning. Good morning. This morning, I want to talk about something with you that um, we're calling being a safe person, being a safe person. And I wonder if you could give us a definition, please, of what a safe person is. A safe person is someone you can tell anything to, you can t tell them your worst fears, your greatest concerns, your secrets, without the fear of feeling as if you will hear it repeated somewhere else, and with the f without the fear of being criticized or ridiculed. That is a special gift to find such a person, I'm sure. Uh, why do you feel there are so few safe persons? You know, initially, I, I, as I was praying about this, it takes maturity. It takes a level of maturity not to repeat secrets. Yes. Not to condone, criticize, to keep confidentiality. Mm -hmm. It takes a commitment. And I have to go back on maturity because I was thinking of, and you've mentioned this in a sermon before, but I was thinking of China because one time we led a group of Chinese to the Lord. Yes. And a week later, they brought more people to be led to the Lord. And so they were only seven days old in the faith. <laughs> and so maturity doesn't mean you have to be this deep, deep, deep spiritual person. It just means that you're a person who is willing to obey the word of God. 
It takes commitment. It takes rising above your feelings and being heavenly focused and biblically minded and putting others above yourself. That's, those are some outstanding thoughts. I'd like to say that if the Christian life is a train on a track, hmm. then feelings make a lousy engine, but a very good caboose. Exactly. The engine for the Christian ought to be facts as found in the Word of God. Right. And then our feelings are to tag along behind those facts. Exactly. Very good. So that we're conceding and, and allowing that there are very few safe persons. Um, would you say that there is a personal cost to being a safe person? I would say so. I'm piggybacking on your other question, why are there so few? Yes. Part of the cost is obedience to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you are a believer and you're not obeying the Word of God, then you're not willing to pay the price. Because the first, I mean, I would say the first cost of a believer is being obedient to the Word of God. In terms of the cost, sometimes it can cost you being misunderstood. Oh, yes. Losing friendships even Mm. sometimes, because if you're doing what you feel as if the Word wants you to do and God wants you to do, and your friends disagree, sometimes they are no longer your friends. It takes, I mentioned it earlier, dying to self, and it takes being sacrificing daily. Uh, it could be inconvenient. Exactly. And it can be demanding. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we know in Scripture and in life, sometimes this has cost some people their life. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, the brethren that have laid down their lives to follow Jesus, for sure, and still happens, of course, in the persecuted church around the world today. What is your thought on, is it worth it to pay those prices? Of course. I I feel as if it's worth it. I hate to say this, you know, we don't want to live our Christian lives by feelings, but it makes, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. Being kind, being nice to someone else, especially Mm -hmm. when they're not feeling, you know, that being treated nicely elsewhere, it just feels good. Uh Being obedient to the word of God feels good. You are honoring God. Yes. You're bringing heaven onto earth. Mm. You, you're helping people see a glimpse of God. It causes you to grow personally and spiritually, and that, that feels good. Those are, those are all wonderful benefits if, if we're doing a cost-benefit analysis, <laughs> which, of course, uh, is more of a business term. Would there be anything else that you'd like our listeners either to know or to think about on the topic of being a safe person? Well, you know Hebrew and Greek. You know, I don't know Hebrew and Greek, but I understand that biblical hospitality in the Hebrew and Greek is not just about opening your home to someone. I mean, it's a lifestyle. Yes. And... The Bible tells us that sometimes we even entertain angels unawares. That's a thought, isn't it? So sometimes when you see someone on the street, now it doesn't mean you have to be nice or give money to every homeless person or anyone else that's begging, but sometimes you really do need to be discerning and listening to the Lord because you don't even know if that's the Lord in disguise. And so mm. it's, it's, a, it's a biblical command um, request. Mm-hmm. 
And it's it's not just about feelings and being nice. It's it's a whole scriptural component. Yes, in the New Testament times, um, because there were large distances between believers sometimes, and, and most all of first expressions of the baby church were home churches, that um, to have that hospitality often involved uh, housing a person who was rejected by their family who did not love Jesus yet, or um, certainly, you know, meals and clothing and and uh, so forth. So it's very practical. And my prayer, and along with Dr. Heiler this morning, is that we would choose to be safe persons. Uh, start small. Uh, pray about it, who the Lord brings across your path. And also that on the other side of that coin, that if you're listening today and you've been tired of playing a role of of uh, trying to measure up to someone who only will love you conditionally, to hiding your pain, to uh, being guilty that you're in pain, that you will be able to see that um, you can trust God to raise up a safe person for you. Ask the Lord for that. And I'd like to do that right now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray for the precious person who is listening today in desperate need of a safe person, a friend they can be real with, a friend that may just be down the spiritual road slightly ahead of them, but nonetheless will be loving and non-judgmental and um, practical in assisting. Lord, raise up that person for each person listening who desires that. And then Lord, raise up safe persons also from our listeners who are in a place to provide a non-judgmental, confidential uh, place and, and friendship to people who are in need. Thank you that uh, this is the New Testament model and with the Holy Spirit producing his fruit in our lives, we can be safe people for others. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.